0: to think about multiplication. Help us tonight to multiply ourselves, Lord, not because we're so great, Lord, but because we have a spirit who is guiding us, Lord, to do this. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So, Judas speaking to Christians. The one who uh, wants these promises may have them if they put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, he says, to those who are called who are beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. So there's no, there's no mistaking his audience, is the church. And he's writing a letter to encourage believers. This is not evangelism he's doing. He is doing edification to the church body and to the saints. Verse 2, may these three things, and look at these three things now, mercy, peace, and love. Now these are three incredible things that if you had in your life, you would be doing really well. But James says it's not enough just to have them. They need to be multiplying. And he doesn't reference Genesis chapter 1, but if you think back, what is one of the first commands of God? Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth that I have created right with life. And so Jude is going back to that. He's saying, listen, we are to multiply these things, but we're not talking about having children here. We're talking about fruits of the Spirit growing in our hearts and growing in our lives. Mercy, peace, and love. Now, for these promises, we have to trust the Lord. You cannot gain these things on your own. And let me be clear, Jude is talking to Christians. He's writing a letter to a church. And most likely, there would be very few uh, unconverted souls at the first reading of that letter. It's probably in a house, a couple families maybe, and then it goes on from there. But in this room tonight, there is probably someone who is not Yet beloved in God and not yet kept for Jesus Christ because they've not yet repented and believed. And so I'm going to give you that now. If you do not repent and believe in Jesus Christ, you will not understand this book. You will not see the multiplication of mercy, peace, and love. And you will not know the joy of the Holy Spirit. So I encourage you as I'm speaking to Christians and believers, if you're sitting here tonight for whatever reason and you know you're not, please don't stay in that state. Don't, don't knowingly sit there and know that, yeah, I don't believe in any of this. Consider your soul before God. Consider your heart before the Almighty, that he is real, and that he is judge. But he's also a merciful judge, and the mercy is near you tonight. It's near you. And if you'd only call out for it, Jesus said, if you seek me, you will find me. If you come to me, I will not cast you out. But for those of us who have already, let us go on to three different texts. First we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. And the theme of this verse is the mercy that we want to multiply in our lives. So how do we gain mercy? Because if I don't have mercy, I cannot multiply it. So I need to gain it first. How? Hebrews 4:16. Let us then, us the church believers, with confidence, so with the assurance and the proper mindset Draw near to the throne of God of grace, that we may receive mercy. And why are we receiving mercy? Because without mercy, I cannot even get to that throne. It's paved by the mercy that Jesus shed with His own blood for me. That's how I get there. Let us draw near with confidence. I talk to so many people that break my heart when they say things like, "Well, I, I hope that God accepts me." I hope that God. Let's me in. That's not the hope of the Christian life. We have a hope of what we know Jesus has done, not a false hope that God may let me through the gates. The Holy Spirit tells you. There, there will be no guessing on Judgment Day. That's why it's a great and terrible day. So we draw near with confidence. We don't draw near God not knowing the outcome. Jesus has died, He's been resurrected, He, he stands at the right hand of the Father, and He's ready. And willing, he's building the place, he's waiting for the Father's command to go back and get his church. We don't draw near that throne wondering what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen. The saints are going to be gathered, and the goats are going to be tossed aside. The wicked who have never repented will be pushed away from God. And the people, the children of God who believed in him, who repented of their sins, who trusted in Jesus Christ, they will be gathered, and they will be forever with God. So we draw near with confidence that we may receive mercy. Now think about this mercy that God is giving. You and I are not justified to go to him. We are not we are not able. There's no way for us to get it. I cannot buy it. I cannot earn it. I cannot work hard enough. I can't go to church enough. I can't even read the Bible or pray enough without mercy. I'll never reach God's throne. The barrier of corruption stops me. I won't even get close. So God, in His wisdom, paved the way through that barrier, through that chasm that's there. He sent His Son to give us mercy, and mercy is a quality of forgiveness to something or someone who doesn't deserve it. And This is very hard for us to learn, especially young people, that we don't deserve God's mercy. There's nothing I could do to deserve it. In fact, God would be fully justified to pull back from the earth, leave all of the wicked unrepentant there, and just just be glorified in heaven by the angels. He'd be fully justified in doing this. There would be no way to to shake your fist at God and say, how dare you, God? How can you not save me or give me mercy? Fully justified in doing so. But he didn't. He didn't. Not only did he make a way for mercy, but he took his own son and formed a plan together, the Trinity, and said, you're going to take on flesh, John 1.14 word has become flesh and dwelt among us, and you're going to die. And you're going to die so that we can put the sin that is on these people, the death that's coming upon them, we're going to put it on you. And you're going to take it for them. But you're not going to stay that way. That's the great hope of resurrection. You're not going to stay that way. Death could not hold Jesus Christ. The stone could not hold him. It is rolled away and out he comes fulfilling the mercy that you and I have. See, Jesus starts the multiplication of mercy. But it doesn't stop just with us, right? It's like the parable of the talents. Who's the wicked servant? The one who buried his talents and was like, I'm not going to do anything. But the ones who did well were the ones who multiplied their talents. So mercy tonight, if it's been given to you, can you give it to another? Can you share with another? And that's difficult because the flesh is no more dangerous than when it feels justified. When someone has wronged me, and I'm justified in getting them back. The Jews dealt with it. That's why they had an eye for an eye. But Jesus in his mercy comes with a new covenant. What did he say? We went through it last year. You used to say eye for an eye, but I tell you to love your enemies. Pray for those who would persecute you. Mercy needs to be multiplied. If we do not multiply mercy, we will find ourselves in a legalistic church full of gray, colorless Christians walking around only pointing out fallacies and ignorance and arrogance and errors, offering no love, no reconciliation, no forgiveness. That's not God's church. In fact, I love the, uh, the, the solution to heretics later on in the Bible when he says, if someone has gone out from you, blessed is the one who goes and gets that brother and restores him and brings him back to the church, and back to Christ and see them repent of their heresy. Students, adults, tonight, we need to focus on multiplying mercy. Because if you expect God to give you mercy, but you withhold it from any around you, has God really given you mercy? He hasn't. Because the mercy he gives does multiply. But for time, we must go on. Peace is the next quality. Go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Peace is one of the most beautiful things about Christianity because you can't understand it. The Bible says so. Peace that passes all understanding. I can't understand it, much less teach it. The only way I can tell you to understand peace is to know it. And the only way to know it is to go to the one who gives it. Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I cannot tell you about peace. You have to feel the presence of peace in your soul by the Holy Spirit. I cannot list it on a whiteboard for you in a classroom. I cannot say, here's the ways you'll know that you're at peace. Now, I can get close. Because we can talk about the anxiety, we can talk about the fear, we can talk about the lack of peace that leads to sin and that breeds more sin and goes on and on. We can talk about qualities of peace. That in my soul, I was so sure that this is what God wanted me to do. However, you can be mistaken. Many a Christian has made a mistake thinking they were doing right, thinking they were following God's will, but they made a mistake. They chose the wrong path, said and did the wrong thing and lost their peace. So if it surpasses all understanding, why then did he give us a verse on it, and many verses in the New Testament? For this reason. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, because God's ways are higher than our ways, God is not understandable by you and I, will guard our hearts. God will give you peace to guard your heart, and who is it guarding it from? It's guarding from you. One of the worst things ever inflicted upon American culture, and maybe the world, but I'm not from other countries. I'm from this one. Just listen to your heart. What does your heart tell you? That's not a Bible verse. I think that's Titanic. It's certainly a bad rom-com. Don't listen to your heart. Your heart is deceitfully wicked. And what you're calling a heart is actually part of your soul. The cardiac muscle that's pumping blood, it doesn't do anything with emotions at all, okay? Your heart is wicked, what John Calvin called the uh, continuous idol factory. Imagine that, an assembly line right out of your soul producing idols of the things you love more than God. That would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? So my heart needs to be guarded from even myself, much less the world, but even myself because I am often my own worst critic, anybody with me, Right? I'm the one. I will devise scenarios in my head upon scenarios upon scenarios that spiral off into subplots and subgenres, and it never ends. And I can't even remember what I started thinking about, much less praying about. You ever seen that meme with the guy trying to figure out all the conspiracy theories? He's got all the charts laid out, right? And he's like, I figured it out, man. It's the Cheetos. <laughs> they're they're that's what, Yeah, it's what killed the dinosaurs. The Cheetos made out of moon dust, it's it's fake, and your heart will tell you fake things. Your flesh will lie to you to get you to worship yourself. It'll whisper lies in your ears this way. You were right to say that. They were being a jerk to you. It's okay. God won't mind. Or even worse, don't worry. God doesn't concern himself with something this small. Lies, guys. Lies. Lies. And I would say lies from the pit of hell, but they're not from the pit of hell. They're from the pit of that wicked heart. So how do I get peace today? How can I multiply peace? Well, we have to understand it comes from God, not from me. I have to understand it's guarding my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. So when my mind, as Romans chapter 8 says, is focused upon God and focused upon Christ, it will be set rightly on its course and only deviated into temptation and to sin off of that course. So when it's set rightly, now I am focusing on God. My mind is at peace. My heart is guarded, and I am ready to share that peace with others. I cannot tell you the amount of times I've talked to a student, and I had to say to them, I know this is cheesy, and I know you're not going to like this answer, but in this particular case, you will understand when you get older. And it never fails. The student's always like, oh, yeah, uh uh-huh, thanks a lot. That really helps. But I've had the ones come back years later and go, man, you were right. You were right. That thing either did get better or or it wasn't the right way or it wasn't that big of a deal to begin with. We multiply peace by seeking the God of peace, and he will guard your heart. Last one, love. 1 John chapter 4 verses 16 and 17, probably the best book on love. I know it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is what everybody says, but 1 John is so beautiful. Chapter 4, verse 16. We have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. You cannot separate love true love from god now not to pick on teenagers again but you're really easy targets so i'm going to do it anyway there's a phenomenon going on that that i didn't have when i was a teenager because we didn't have phones like you guys did i had a flip phone and i had a little spot on my belt where it clipped on it yes i was cool <laughs> And we couldn't really do all the talking that you guys are doing, but teenagers, because of the new cell phones, have invented a new type of social interaction, and it's called talking. And I remember, I felt like that lady with the monkeys, you know, learning about, you know, not the are monkeys. Let's forget that line of thought. So I I remember learning about this the first time, because I heard two kids say, oh, yeah, I'm talking to her. And I was like, okay. And they're like, no, Mr. Josh, I'm talking to her. And I'm like, yeah, good for you. (laughs) And he's like, no, no, we're going out. And I'm like, out where? (laughs) We're dating. I'm like, wait, what? You're dating? This is like a 12-year-old telling me this. He's like, yeah, we're talking. And I'm like, well, how do you date? How do you go out? And he's like, you don't get it, old man. We don't go out anywhere. We text. And I'm like, oh, texting. This phenomenon has led to intense feelings of love. And I've witnessed... Young teenagers, preteens, telling each other that they love each other romantically. Now, I have observed something else. None of their qualities of love, because of their age probably, have even reached the place that I would say that I love chicken tacos. I was talking with a kid one time. He's like, you don't understand, Mr. Josh. I love her. And I was like, you've known this girl for like two weeks. I have better relationships with shorts. I have socks that I love far more deeply than that. They support me. They've been there for me. Some some of y'all are looking at each other. Oh, boy. And I realized, I'm talking to this student, and I go to this verse, and I say, no, but God is the standard of love, not how you feel about something. You should focus on that instead. And, the, of course, the kid was like, oh, no, no, you don't understand. And I'm like, you don't get it, man. You have taco love. It's not even close. I mean, that's, if I give you a Snickers bar, you'd leave that girl in a minute. <laughs> but what kind of love does God have? God doesn't just love. The Scripture here says that he is love. He is love. So when we say, what does love look like? It looks like God. What does it mean to love someone? It looks how God deals with his people. Whoever abides in this love, so if I really love somebody, I'm gonna abide in what God says to do. So, gentlemen, if you really love that girl, you're gonna do what God says on the best way to treat her, aren't you? That's right. And young ladies, if he really loves you, that's how he's gonna act. And it goes the same for the rest of us. All of our friendships, all of our dealings, business, you know, personal, whatever. If I really love, then I'm gonna love the way God loves. Man, I'm running out of time. I gotta keep moving a little bit. So these three things we want to multiply, but how do we multiply? Well, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 15. And this is the last verse for tonight. Last block of text. We wanna multiply these three things. Here's how we do it: Matthew 15, verse 32. All the way to verse 38. Jesus is feeding the 4,000. That's very important, and you're going to see why in a minute. The 4,000. He called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me three days and they've had nothing to eat. So he's been teaching about God for three straight days. Would you come to church that long? Be honest. Be honest. And you'd ask, are there sandwiches, Pastor Josh? (laughs) You want, yeah, where's the pizza? (laughs) Right? So they're there for three days. Jesus has compassion and he says, I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Verse 33. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? So Jesus wants to feed these people, and the disciples immediately complain. And immediately say, no, it can't be done. Can't do it. That's hard for a leader. That's really difficult. you are like, man, I got this thing I want to do. It's glorifying to God. And we need to do it. And the first thing you hear is, no. <laughs> That's what I get from my children, okay? <laughs> That's both my children's first word, no. <laughs> Jesus looks at them, verse 34, and says, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit on the ground, he took seven loaves and the fish, and giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. They all ate and were satisfied. Now, I love that phrase. Somebody mentioned pizza earlier. Have you ever been somewhere where there was pizza, but there wasn't enough pizza? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like you had two slices and you're like, Empty cardboard box, you pick it up, it's too light. (laughs) No, they ate, and they all were satisfied. They took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Much has been made about that number, seven baskets. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides men and women. So maybe 15,000, no one's one's really sure. But here's what I want to say. I want to go through this one more time, just a little bit. Here's how God multiplies. If you want to multiply mercy, peace, and love in your life and heart tonight, here's what I think you need to do based on Matthew 15. Number one, understand it is God who multiplies, who gave loaves and fish so that 4,000 people could eat. Did the disciples do it? Did they figure it out? Did they run into town and buy bread with the money they didn't want to spend? No, God is the one who does it. Divine power starts there, not here. We don't even have it. As if the Holy Spirit was a force like Star Wars. You could wield and lift rocks with it. It's a person, not a force. God is the one who multiplies, moving on, and he does it by power. One cannot multiply without the power of God present and working inside of you. Too many people have tried. And too many people have stacked up the world's riches. And claimed it was God's work. Look at everything we've done. But they already covered that in Matthew 7. Depart from me, I never knew you. It is God who multiplies. He multiplies by His power. Next, we have the work of Christ. What did Jesus say? I have compassion. Multiplication starts out of compassion. I love them. I want to help these people. Christ is the one sent by God to do the work. There is no other. And who should we give the credit to? How foolish for the disciples to stand up after this is over and shake hands and go, yep, we did such a great job feeding everybody, didn't we? But if we're not careful, that's how we'll do church. Jesus will have done the work, but we'll pat ourselves on the back and say, look what we did. Christ is the one sent by God. You cannot multiply without his work. Next, you have to have the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the one who moves the hearts of the people. The people follow Jesus to hear that teaching. They followed Him to be multiplied by this. The disciples are still walking with Him. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. And there's too much that goes on in church that the Holy Spirit has not ordained, that the Holy Spirit is not moving and working in. That's why it fails. That's why it's not good. That's why there's no peace or love involved. with it. That's why there's no fruit, why things don't grow and why they die. The next thing you have to do to multiply is avoid the unbelief of men. What did the disciples say? Jesus, come on. How how are we going to feed all these people? That's ridiculous. Guys, this is chapter 15 of Matthew. This is 4,000. Jesus feeds a number, doesn't he, in a different chapter? Do you remember how many it is? 5,000. Did you know that he feeds the 5,000 in chapter 14 of Matthew? And the disciples who saw this still scoff at him? He just fed 5,000 people in the previous chapter, and now he's going to do it again, and they still go, oh, come on, Jesus, really? Think about that. Are you serious? Come on, man. There's no way you could ever do that. He just did it. They still unbelieve. Which means you and I must not let our unbelief stop our participation in God's multiplying. How often the work of God is seen and still there is unbelief. This is why the world can see God's presence, they can see his miracles, they can see his effects, and they can still turn their heads in unbelief. Because no matter how much the mind or the eyes recognizes, it's still a heart issue. When there is no presence of the Holy Spirit, there is complete rejection of what God is doing. And we should not let that stop us. Even if it comes from within our walls, we should not let unbelief stop us from being involved in God's multiplication. The next thing we have to do is we have to have good responsibility. Somebody brought loaves and fish. Somebody planned for the day. Now, this particular chapter doesn't identify who, who it is, maybe, but often it's the little boy, right? Somebody thought about that little kid in the other story maybe it was his dad maybe it was his mom maybe he made his lunch that day but he planned and he executed his plan we cannot go through life just going well god will take care of everything i don't have to do anything god has given us responsibility to preach the gospel to serve to make disciples to to obey his commandments the good responsibility of man is good when it's guided by god the bread and fish was provided we must be ready to use our provision to provide for others. And in so doing, God will glorify and multiply his kingdom. The next is service. The disciples, even in their scoffing unbelief, what do they do? They sit down the crowds and they pass out the loaves and fish. And they keep passing it out till all are satisfied. Service by God's people. Being near the work of God. You have to be there at the crowd. You have to be one of the disciples. You can't be back in town and hear about the miracles and claim, yeah, I was there too. I'm a part of that. How many people say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. In America, we have 330 million and almost 300 million claim to be Christian. But these people are not attending church. So what are they? Truly unbelievers is what they are. And finally this. To multiply, we have to understand that God is multiplying his kingdom. We are called to serve him, obey him, and believe him. And the calling he's put on each one of us to multiply that kingdom. And we're all given different ones. And it is so easy to look up here and see the person on stage and think, yep, they're closer to God than I am. They're doing more than I am. But it's not true. God has given each and every one of his children a calling to multiply his kingdom. Now think back to Genesis chapter 1. Be fruitful and multiply. The message for you tonight is this. Be fruitful with mercy, love, and peace, and multiply these things. And in so doing, you'll see the blessing of God. If you would, bow your heads, pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm so thankful that tonight, Lord, your word is multiplying even now in the hearts of your saints. Lord, that we're taking mercy and love and peace and we're thinking about ways we can share them and spread them and give them out to others. Lord, let us not scoff in unbelief at what you're doing. Let us never turn, Lord, to our own worship and our own kingdom. Lord, for that's a kingdom of ash that's going to fall. Lord, but instead let us focus on your work, guided by your Spirit, Lord, ordained by yourself and made possible by your Son. Lord, make each and every one of us servants the way Jude is a servant, that we could have love and peace and mercy multiplied in our hearts. Lord, multiply tonight. And Lord, as I said toward the beginning, if there be any in here who have not even yet tasted the richness of salvation, Lord, tonight could be the night. Lord, I pray you would touch their heart, fill them with your spirit, and continue to multiply your kingdom. Lord, I pray for this food that we're about to eat. I ask you to bless it to our bodies. And right before I dismiss, I just pray that you would bless each and every soul here, that they would multiply and glorify only you